Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And I'd like to thank everybody for sending me the messages about how I was wrong about all the cars that I picked <laughs> on Friday, which is fine because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Um, no, I really do. I think it's been uh, it's been interesting. You showed me a clip the other day of uh, from American from Graffiti. American Graffiti, and I have to iconic admit, iconic movie. And you said Smokey and the Bandit, so that's another car I left out. Yep. Um, so, but we're still waiting for number one and number two. Right. And um, should I just say what the movies are and just? Say I them think up you should because what did we do? You interviewed the stunt driver for these movies. Yeah, stunt driver and stunt coordinator, uh, or both. So the two movies are Death Proof which is a Quentin Tarantino film, yep. and uh, The Wraith with Charlie yes. Sheen from 1986. And they're both two really, really cool movies. Now, this The, the Wraith car... Actually, do we have a sponsor that we should talk about before we, we get do. into the cars? We yeah. Let's talk about Omaze. So who is Omaze? Omaze is a fundraising platform that offers once-in-a-lifetime experiences, including, of course, dream-worthy cars. So far, they've raised over $130 million for charities around the world. And right now, Omaze is giving away a fully restored 1968 Bullet Mustang. This is a 600-horsepower Mustang that was built by Richard Rawlings in the Gas Monkey Garage as a tribute to, of course, the iconic car Steve McQueen drove in the movie Bullet. And that was one of them that we, we mentioned, gave yeah, an honorable mention, mention like on number our 10, list. probably. We, yes. we put it at number 10. And I really do like this thing, Chris. It's got the original 390-inch big block engine, four-speed manual, and, of course, the classic torque thrust wheels and green paint. I know we did this last last week, and we talked about this car, and all I can think about in my head is, like, some chassis-twisting V8 in my life. You need I, that. I just, at some I point, know. it's got to happen. I don't think you can enter to win this, but regardless. <laughs> so Probably if true. you did, though, Omaze really thinks of everything. They cover everything from shipping to taxes, so you have nothing to worry about and don't have to spend a dime. The best part, of course, is every donation goes to support the Gas Monkey Garage Foundation, which supports causes like empowering veterans and supporting Alzheimer's disease. So Sounds head like a over great charity. to omaze.com slash overcrest to check it out, and with a donation of $10, you're entered to win. That's omaze.com slash overcrest. Also, be sure to use the code overcrest50. That's overcrest50 to get 50 bonus entries. All right. So the two cars, we'll talk about The Wraith first. So The Wraith is a movie that's set. It's out in the desert, mm -hmm. and it seems like it's some sort of kind of deserty town. They've got a drive in there, as you would expect to have okay. in the 80s, and there's this super attractive girl that's in this movie and she's got she's <laughs> Do you know got, who the actress is uh she's from twin peaks i can't think of her name i'll look it up while you yeah. go and uh so she's kind of going out with this guy right okay and they're they he's in like i think it's oh boy i think it's like a fox body mustang maybe okay. or something i don't remember the exact car that he's driving at the beginning of the movie shame on me um but anyway, so he, uh, the, the buddy, buddy Repperton, who I think is the antagonist of this film, starts to chase him and forces him into a race for pink situation. Gotcha. Okay? And it, in the basically what happens, how much of this movie do I want to ruin? I, I think I'll leave out a little bit. But they get into this race, and there's some violence that goes on. Okay. And it's, it's, it's he's, uh, Buddy's driving this old Corvette, like a fiberglass Corvette Stingray type of thing. And there's another guy called Skank. And he's got like some car with the hood, the the motor sticking out of the hood. Yep. This is a terrible movie, <laughs> and yet it's at the top of Chris's list. But the reason that it's at the top of the list is because the car is so cool. Okay. So all of a sudden, this car shows up out of nowhere. Yep. And it's this 
alien-looking car. It looks like nothing super else. Super futuristic. Super futuristic. Even today, that car looks somewhat futuristic. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, it comes out of nowhere, and it doesn't sound like a regular car. It kind of whirs, makes this whirring sound, and he ends up racing people. And everyone he races, he kills. <laughs> so it's like this revenge film of this guy in this car. Yep. Okay? So this car is a M4S. Yeah. What's her name? Sharon Finn? Sherilyn Fenn. Sherilyn Fenn, yeah. Yes. And she does get naked in this movie, which is which is a which is a nice surprise. <laughs> anyway, so this car is it's a real car. So it's the M4S Dodge. It's a twin turbo pace car, which was a one-off effort sponsored by PPG. So all the cars were were pace cars and they were all PPG painted cars. Okay. okay yeah, because so it is kind of a cool PPG color. did this thing where they did remember the car that we saw at Cars and Coffee that was a C forty three AMG. Yeah, that's and right. And it was painted up with PPG paint and was yeah, all these wild orange cars. and purple. Those are real. So those these are cars that PPG did, and this is one of those type of cars. Interesting. So this car had a two point two liter twin turbo engine. I think it's a twin turbo engine. Uh, I think I th- yeah, it's a twin turbo engine. Okay. This is a really aerodynamic car. It's got kind of like this. Like some sort of boat tails, not a really a boat tail, but like no, this, but it, it's this yeah. long tail. It's exactly. a long tail, and but this car in 1983 did 194 miles an hour and put out 440 <laughs> horsepower at 25 psi with a coefficient of drag that was only 0.23. Wow! So first appearing at the public at to the public at the Detroit Auto Show in January of '86, the M4S was trucked to Arizona weeks later to be featured in the film. Now we're gonna. T- I don't want to get into the, what they did on the film because I'm gonna let Buddy tell us all about that. But he talks about the car and the car that they when they brought one of these cars in, and then the cars that they actually got to drive. Okay. They, uh, Dodge actually or Chrysler valued this thing at like a million dollars or oh, something. Oh wow! Like that, which I think one of them sold for like hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something like that. But but that was I think that was one of the actual movie cars. Sure. These things. I mean. The the previous pace car in the Mopar line was a was a Daytona Turbo Z that ran 175, and this did a so this is just light years ahead. It's light years of their last ahead. effort. And it's a really futuristic car. Looks really wild. Um, very cool car. So the next is, and I I don't have these at one or two. I kind of have them both. Yeah, because we got to talk to Buddy. Yeah, so we'll just both. we'll just uh, let you guys decide which okay. is. You know what the best part of his interview is is at the very end when he talks about what his favorite car is. Okay, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's really it's a really unique. And I've only heard bits and pieces of this interview. It's a really so. really unique choice. Um, the interview is really good. We talk about he talks about some some uh, stuff he did with Quentin Tarantino in the in the yeah. in, in the car, which is the uh, Chevy Nova from Death Proof. All right, so which Death you have not Proof. seen. I've not. So it is basically this movie is Kurt Russell plays stuntman Mike. Okay. Okay. And stuntman Mike has an old Chevy Nova with a roll cage in it and a plexiglass divider down the middle of the car. What do you know about this movie? Anything? I know nothing other okay. than it's a so very he goes, stylized So he goes Tarantino into a bar movie. and he's all got this bravado. Hey, I'm stuntman Mike. You know, I'm stuntman Mike. And he's trying to show off or whatever. Okay. And he finally gets this super cute blonde girl to go for a ride with him. Okay. okay. So they pull up to, and she's sitting on basically a milk crate. On the other side of the car, because there's it's no like a seat. little metal stool, or it's not a real seat. It's he's like, and he's just like, oh, this is just a race car. I'll be careful. Okay. So he pulls up to this light, and he goes right or left, and she goes um, right, and he goes, I really wish you would have said left. I am so sorry. What? And he <laughs> throws it into gear, hits the gas, and just basically ping pongs her around on the other side of the car, and basically kills her. Watch her watches her die, bubbling, breathing her own blood. This is Stuntman Mike. Oh. Okay. So this car is the embodiment 
of evil. Yeah, that's her. Jake's picking up a picture of her right now. And the uh, so you know that uh, have you ever seen the movie Convoy? I think so. Show me that picture again. Hold that up to me one more time. Hold on, let me zoom in again. Okay, so you have. Uh, can you see the front of the car? No, I don't want to see her. I want to see the front <laughs> of the car. Okay, you see that metal duck on the front. Oh yeah, it's I a do. Big There's chrome, a hood ornament. It's a big chrome metal duck hood ornament, and that's actually from the movie Convoy from back in the day. They have the big chrome metal duck. I did not and know that. It just kind of gives you the uh, if you watch Convoy, it kind of gives you the impression of of Stuntman Mike's character. And Buddy and I talk about Stuntman Mike and why he might be doing what he's doing. Gotcha. But this is a great movie. It's another revenge film because this girl's friends basically go to find Stuntman Mike in a white Dodge Challenger, and it leads to this amazing chase scene with tons of stunts and uh one of the reasons why i picked this car and this probably is number one on my list for movie cars okay for for me the car is absolutely evil and it is a direct representation of kurt russell's character stuntman mike sure you know the, the amount of evil that he is has in him is embodied in this car and when you watch the film, you'll see what I mean. There's a big skull painted on the hood. The, thing's yep. <laughs> the thing is flat black. You imagine that he's like, all right, I'm going to make an... Imagine he's done this before, okay? Because the car is kind of a... It's kind of crappy. You know, it's painted flat black. There's really mm -hmm. not much material. He puts a cage in the car, puts the plexiglass thing in the car, and then goes, finds a girl and kills her, totals the car, and then, you know, just moves on to the next one, makes another wow. car. Because he totals the car and then has another car later. So oh, it's, okay. it's kind of imagining that he... This isn't the first time... That he's done this. Okay. So this car is the only car I can think of. I guess it's kind of a theme with all of this that you have Christine, absolutely evil, right? Mm -hmm. You've got the the truck from Duel, absolutely evil. And then you've got this Chevy Nova. You like the antagonist cars. Give me a protagonist car other than Lightning McQueen. Well, on your list, yeah, I don't know. Think of any think of any good. There's good guys out there, but they end up being like Superman or Robin Hood or just, well, you know. Well, if you would have actually watched American Graffiti, like I talked about, the John Milner Coupe, the 32 Ford, that's yellow. He is the protagonist in that, and Harrison Ford in that scene, at least, is the antagonist. Okay. All right. Well, I'll give it to you. I haven't seen it, so we'll, we'll pretend that you're right. Okay. So <laughs> I want to get right into our interview with Buddy Joe because it is quite long. But I promise you, it's it's worth it. There's a lot of great stories in here from a guy that's done some really unique and special things. And uh, so, Buddy Joe is a is a, he's obviously a stunt driver, but he's been doing more than that for a really long time. He is. Um, hold on, I got to pull up my my notes here. So he specializes on his website. It says it specializes in all areas of action coordination direction, including. And what's funny is one of the parts I had to cut out of the cut out of the interview is I was like, yeah. So what's it like when you flip a car over and the and the metal is crunching and the glass is shaking? And he just goes, yeah. <laughs> the Jake. He did yeah. the Jake. Yeah. Where he's just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah explosions. He was into it. And I and it was awesome. The guy has a passion for breaking things, which I absolutely yeah. love. So he specializes in cars, motorcycles, fights, fire, water, horsework, high falls, aerial explosions, wire work, boats. War confrontations, actor training, sporting events, wow. natural and unnatural disasters, races, chases, everything else. So, <laughs> wait, natural and unnatural disasters. Well, what's an unnatural? Is that Independence Day? <laughs> Basically, that's <laughs> yeah, gotta be. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so he's been in movies like uh, Meet Joe Black, Godfather Three, Death Proof, Days of Thunder, The Chase, which is a. Have you seen The Chase? Really good movie. It's another one with Charlie Sheen, and he, oh, he basically uh, he 
basically kidnaps this super hot chick okay. in this car and she ends up falling in love with him <laughs> and he's like running away from the cops and he's like boning this chick in the front seat of this car going 100 miles an hour and she's super smoking hot. I have not really, really seen good. this. Obviously The Wraith and The Right Stuff which is a really cool movie too about uh, NASA and space and you know going yep. to the moon and yep. prepping to go to the moon and stuff like that. So Buddy Joe, really cool guy. Can't thank him enough for his time. He gave me so much of his time. Uh, I can't say thank you enough, buddy, for coming on the podcast. So without further ado, buddy Joe Hooker. Hello? Mr. Buddy Joe, how's it going, man? Good. How are you doing? Very good. This is uh, this is Chris from the Overcrest Podcast giving you a call. How are you doing, Chris? I'm, I'm very good. I've, uh, I've been looking forward to this call. I've... I've you know, I've been uh, doing a little bit of research on you and watching what you've done, and it's it's absolutely crazy and impressive, and I'm really happy to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So uh, the first question I have to ask is why stunt driving? Because it's not something, I mean, I can idealize myself as doing something like that because I think it would make me a super cool dude, but in reality, I don't think I could do it. Why stunt driving? What, what pushed you towards that? Well, let me just give you a, a little, uh, you know, backstory on on stunt work and everything sure it's like when uh when i first started uh basically what was happening was the western work so um as you know the western movies started going away in the late 50s and all that kind of stuff then uh there was you know a different kind of stunt to be be done there was you know motorcycles started coming around so you go from cases. falling off a horse to falling off a motorcycle yeah, or or you try to. What what the difference was is back then to be a a working uh, stunt man where you could pay your bills and and go to the bars and get a lot of uh, girls, all that kind of stuff was that you had a lot of different skills. You you know you could do high falls, you could do fire work, you know you could do horse work, you could do fight all kinds of fencing, you could do everything. Um, the golden egg, it, it started to get that the premier job and the highest paying job in the stunt uh, industry was car work. And uh, to get a job driving a car or, or doing any kind of a chase sequence or a car crash or anything uh, was like uh, next to impossible unless, you know, it didn't matter how long you'd been around, it was kind of like the old boys network is that there's certain people that controlled all that and had a reputation for it. So when any producer or director wanted car work to be done, they would call these certain people. So to break into that area of work was really, really tough. So I early up, I had set my goal to, to get there because that's what I wanted to do once you, you know, became known as a uh, wheel man and you could do good motorcycle work and everything, um, you kind of had it made. That's where all the money was, all the glory was, and that's where the uh, essence of, you know, stunt work had gone to, as you see now, you know, car chases. So, um, you know, that was my reasoning for doing it. Once I started doing it, I loved it even more. And uh, there's, 
you know, well, I, why I, do you say I that? Felt, why do you say you loved it? What What is it about the stunt driving that, that you love? Well, it's, it's exhilarating. It's like even, you know, riding a horse, you can go so fast. Uh, running, you can go so fast. Doing a high fall out of a six-story building, you only go so fast. But with a car, it's so exhilarating is to have that kind of, of power and speed and, and uh, uh, the ability, once you learn what you're doing, is to have the ability to make this machine do exactly what you want it to do whenever you want it to do it. So there's, it's a highly, you know, skilled element of, of the stunt uh, business. So uh, to me, it was, it was like, you know, uh, doing cannon rolls, for instance, is like, you know, you're, you're doing a cannon roll and you have a, uh, essentially a cannon sitting in the seat next to you that's upside down. It's a big tube with a four foot telephone pole in it with a black powder charge in the top of this cannon. And you go down the road at, at about 65, 70, whatever it calls for. You put the car sideways into a, a 90 degree slide and you push the button. Next thing you know. <laughs> Is the button red? The, it's got to be a red button, right? <laughs> well, I had every kind of button in the world. You know, you, you hold it in. I always prefer to hold it in my hand. And, and drive as well because, you know, you would tape it to your hand, you know, with a long cylindrical thing with a button on the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that way, you know, you weren't going to lose it or fumble around <laughs> on the floor for it or whatever. But anyway, you would go down there, you set your car in a 90-degree slide. When it got to the position that you felt was the right one, you would hit the button. The next thing you hear is this huge, loud explosion which I love that part too. That was great. And then after that explosion, all you're flying through the air and all you hear is it's like you're in a glider. It's like, you don't hear anything. It's completely silent. And then, you know, I always had a tendency to like close my eyes. I don't know why I think that's a natural reaction, but then all of a sudden you're going, whoa, you know, I should have touched down by now. And by the time you open your eyes, the next thing you hear is metal and glass and twisting and noise and things ripping apart as you're doing, you know, five to six to seven to eight rolls down the asphalt. And then it comes to rest again. And uh, so, you know, to be able to go through those kind of uh, experiences, which very few people in our lives get to. Uh, and we do it, uh, you know, race car drive, drivers, it happens to them and everything. But for us to be able to do it in a controlled way where we actually do it when we want to and under the circumstances that we want to, it's, it's like really cool. I mean, you're the only one that gets to crash when you want to. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, that's part of, you know, like when you're doing, uh, you know, car chases and and you're driving and stuff, there's, 
there's a lot of times that things happen that aren't supposed to happen and cars get crashed and all that kind of stuff. But basically, uh, you're in control. So that's, that's the real difference is as far as I can, I can feel that, you know, I get to have all the same stuff that race guys in NASCAR, all those drivers have, but I get to control it where uh, they don't. Sure. So, sure. So, it's, um, and, and I'm sure I get the, probably just as great a feeling doing what I do as they do. <laughs> yeah. So how do you audition for a job? Like, do you take a producer out in a car and just scare the hell out of him? And then he's like, wow, that was really great. You have the job well, or how does that work? In, in the, uh, you know, in the beginning and still now is the only way that, you know, you get, get a car job is you basically, you don't go to the producer because they, hire a stunt coordinator and then the stunt coordinator he'll either do the driving himself if it's his job which i always did a lot of i could put myself wherever i wanted to or the stunt coordinator will hire um good drivers um i you don't get a job like that i mean that's that's kind of cool and everything but that's not the way it happens I do have one incident when we were doing uh, death proof, when we were testing cars and everything, is that um, the stunt coordinator, I was doing all the driving and stuff uh, for uh, Kurt Russell. So the, and Quentin Tarantino was the, was the director, producer, and a, and a guy by the name of Jeff Dash now, great guy, was the stunt coordinator. And uh, Quentin's quite a, uh, you know, a knowledgeable uh, guy on every film that was ever done. So he was familiar with a lot of my work. And he told Jeff, uh, hey, could you get Buddy Joe? It would be so great to have him on our movie and blah, blah, blah. So Jeff said, cool. He talked to me and I said, I'd love to work with Quentin. It'd be great. So when we got there and we were testing all these cars, uh, Jeff came up to me and he goes, hey, uh, after lunch, uh, when Quentin's finished with his meeting, I want to bring him out here and uh, we'll put him in the car with you. We'll strap him in, put a helmet on, and you and I will take him out here on the skid pad. And I just want you to scare the shit out of him. <laughs> so it, it, in answer to your question is that we I have done that once or twice, but I already have the job. Fortunately, otherwise the guy would have probably fired. But we took him out there and we must have done, I don't know, 25, 180s. We did some head on their misses. We were going down side by side and banging into each other and all this kind of stuff. And, and of course, Quentin loved that kind of stuff. But I kept an eye on him and his eyes did get really big. <laughs> <laughs> and he, his hands were like frozen to the roll bar on the side. And so uh, uh, we did that for a while. Then we, we go hauling ass back to the area where they were having the production meeting. And everybody's kind of standing out in front watching what we're doing. Because, you know, they were, they were kind of uh, a little bit thrilled themselves. And we just come in there and do a precision 90-degree slide up to everybody. Quentin gets out and, uh, you know, loved it. 
a little shaky. But he, <laughs> <laughs> he no, he wasn't sitting on like a little metal stool like in the movie. No, right? <laughs> no, no. Uh, we we wouldn't we wouldn't do that kind oh, of. Oh yeah, I know, uh, I know. You know, he was in a full jump seat, we uh, full roll cage in the car, and you know, five point harness, all that kind of stuff. Uh, no, we're we're kind of crazy, but we try not to be real stupid unless it just uh, pertains to what we're doing personally. You know, I'll, I'll do some pretty stupid stuff, but I won't take anybody with me. <laughs> so the, the contrast <laughs> that you're talking about with how Quentin was feeling in the car versus how you were feeling in the car, which is looking over at him going, wow, this guy's freaking out. This is awesome. And, <laughs> and just like you on the inside, it's it's no problem. But at some point, there's got to be some fear when you're working, right? How, how do you deal with, with fear with some of the tricks that, and stunts that you do? Well, most everything that I've done uh, driving-wise and everything, I've always kind of, you know, searched out, or if I'm doing a show, I always kind of pick the good kind of stuff that that is, uh, you know, it's, it's dangerous, and it takes a, a certain amount of skill set to do it, and there's not a lot of people that do some of the stuff we do. So, you know, that's, I always like to do that, and uh, to be quite candid and frank is that you're pretty much scared every time you do anything that's serious anytime that you're doing anything that involves you know other people or crew members or yourself is that anybody that isn't scared or doesn't have to deal with fear is probably an idiot and you don't want him driving the car yeah, anybody uh, and, that doesn't have a sense of self-preservation is probably not the guy. Yeah, and we've had some people around like that. So the, what I do, the way I deal with it is that, you know, I from the very beginning, you know it's there. So whether you're standing on the top of a cliff about to do a, you know, a 100-foot high fall or you're in a fire suit getting ready to do a ferocious full fire burn or whatever, you are concerned. Uh, the word afraid, I don't use too much, but there is fear that you have to deal with. And the way that I deal with it, and I think most people, whether they're special forces, soldiers or seals or whatever, is that you you know the fear's there. And it's, it's an element that you work with. You know, it's, it's saying, okay, this is very serious. You know, get your act together. Think about what you have to do. And focus. So what I do is I, I, I know the fear's there. Now, I've seen people that fear has taken pretty much, you know, uh, uh, 80, 90 percent of their focus and their concentration. It's like instead of dealing with what you have to deal with, you're scared shitless. So the thing is, is that I like to take the fear. I know it's there and it's it's honest, and you put it aside. So now I have 100% concentration on what I have to do, which is a huge part. You already have the skill sets. You know that. Now the next problem is to getting your focus and your brain to concentrate on what you have to do. It's like basketball players that in practice they'll shoot, you know, 100% free throws every time they make it. When it comes to game time, 
they have some issue, like their brain already knows they can do it, but they get out there and it's fear and it's this and it's that. And where you're not, not secure with what you're doing is they miss it. Right. So I, I like to not to deal with that, that part of, uh, the, the, uh, sequence where you might miss what you're doing, because if you do that too many times, you might not be around. Yeah. So, well, missing a free throw and missing a, uh, a cannon roll is two different things, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Or <laughs> missing, missing the, the pad from 120 feet, that stuff gets serious. So, you know, I think it's all about understanding that, that it's very normal to be afraid and to, uh, you know, have concern, but you can't stand up there on the cliff shaking while you're thinking about whatever kind of revolutions you're supposed to do in the air and your entry into the bag. You know, you the main thing is, is you don't want to get, if you do these things a lot, and it, you don't want it to, to become so uh, normal that you get complacent with the, the rules that you're supposed to be going by that you've set up in your own head sure. uh, with to complete what you want to do. Sorry to make that. No, so that's okay. I mean, that's, I think that's important for people to understand because, you know, there's, if I'm driving, I'm out and about, I'm, I decide that I'm going to drift a corner or something like that. You know, my heart starts racing and you get a little bit of fear oh, and, yeah. and it's, and, it, and it's distracting for sure. Yeah. And, and it's like when we, you're going into that, that turn and you know, you're going to drift it. You do, you get jacked up, you know? And yeah. so you have to, so next time you do that, just tell your, you know, take a moment to think before you get to the curb and go, okay, I'm, it's going to happen. But let me just know it's going to happen. So it ain't going to bother me about me getting all jacked up. Right. <laughs> That's right. So what <laughs> is the wildest stunt you've ever had to coordinate and execute of, of everything that you've done? If you can look back. Uh, some of the, I mean, one of the, the, the more difficult things uh, just uh, with a stunt involved was uh, First Blood, uh, the first installment of uh, Rambo <laughs> with Sylvester Stallone. Uh, I actually doubled Sly on that film. Um, I wasn't quite as big as he was, but, you know, you couldn't tell from <laughs> Most of us aren't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I didn't, you know, get to use the same kind of uh, uh, nutritional aspect. Uh, but anyway, I had um, to do a, uh, you know, there was like a 400-foot cliff base uh, in, in the movie where, uh, flies getting chased and he has to, you know, come down the side of this mountain, which we had to do it. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to look like I'm free climbing. And back then, you know, there wasn't really elaborate cable systems or, you know, Spider-Man hadn't happened yet. <laughs> so, you know, we were on a very rudimentary cable system with me actually climbing down the mountain on this cable, which, you know, it took a couple of days to do it with different shots. And it was, you know, very uh, stressful. And then at one point, uh, about 100, 120 feet above uh, the ground is where he comes to a, a point on the cliff where he can't go any further. And he decides to jump out into these big, huge evergreen trees. So I don't know if you saw the movie, but oh, sure. uh, boy, 
what he did was to jump out, go through the top of these trees, and um, then hit a few big branches and go to the ground. Uh, we did it the way I got the job. I, I explained to how I would approach the sequence to the director on an interview, and he went for it. But to, to do it in several stages, first you did, you know, he leaped off there and did this kind of like semi free fall like you would in a parachute, uh, like you're going to land into the top of these trees. And uh, th that fall was, you know, about 120 feet into an airbag. So we did that fall. Then uh, we got up into the top of uh, the very top of these trees. And I kind of, you know, figured out a path of how I was going to fall down through the trees and kind of did a little prep, take a limb out here and there. <laughs> and uh, we were up about probably about 65 feet in the top of this tree. And uh, I, I, the only way I could figure out how to do it was I didn't, I realized I didn't know how I was going to come out of the tree or where I was going to land. So we took, uh, you know, two by two cardboard boxes, folded them and put a ring of three layers of these cardboard boxes all around the bottom of this tree. So wherever, you know, I did come out, I would have uh, something to land on, which I can explain the box thing later, but it's a great <laughs> landing pad. Uh, it's what we use and still use a lot uh, instead of, you know, airbags. So anyway, we had this landing pad made and we rang the whole uh, tree at the bottom with cameras. So, Wherever I came out, they would see something. So, uh, you know, I got up to the top and I had, uh, you know, I had a path that I thought I was going to go. And it was all kind of reasonable. And sitting up there waiting for them to say action and you're kind of, you know, getting in a position. And I actually did go through a few of those pangs of, like, fear and what have I got myself into this time? <laughs> because you're sitting there looking down and about seven, six feet down, you know, you see a big eight inch round limb and you know, in a minute, you're going to have to just spread out and drop straight down, hit this thing in your chest, go backwards into the next limb that you supposedly think you're going to hit then bounce forward and go down. So anyway, you're sitting there thinking about all this, and you're just going, wow, this is like really dumb. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have hired another stuntman to do this. But anyway, uh, it, uh, it worked out great, and they say action, and it's, you just take a deep breath and go. I mean, you know you're going to do it, and so sitting there thinking about, not doing it is like stupid. Did you so, have to do it more than once? No, it was perfect. Nice. So uh, we, I went, I hit the first one, hit the second. I'm going in my mind, at, you know, at mock speed. I'm going, oh, this is great, man. My path is exactly how I wanted it. After the third one, it ricocheted me off. And the rest of the 40 feet through all these limbs and stuff, I had no idea where I was. So it started out good for about the first 10 feet or so, uh, 15 feet. 
From there on, I was a passenger. No, I was upside down, sideways, or I, it was bizarre. But I came out, uh, and they got a great shot. I was kind of like almost where I thought I was going to come out, you know, maybe about an arc around the tree, about 35 degrees off or something, which wasn't bad. So, um, done deal. The next part of this story is that Sly wants to kind of get up in the tree um, and, uh, you know, get on a limb and kind of drop down like I did at the top, but not far, you know, like maybe a foot or two, hit the limb, flip backwards and go into some pads that we have down there. Cool. So we'll have this little bit of the end of our sequence with Sly actually hitting the limb, falling over, landing face up in the pad so we get a nice uh, shot of him. Great. Okay. Uh, we're all set to do that. We get there, and as I'm putting Sly up in the tree, hey, buddy, Joe, let so this isn't far enough. Let's move up a little bit. I'm going, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. You know, you don't have any padding or anything. I mean, if you want to stop and let's put some padding on your chest and all that, you know, we can go up a little higher. But, you know, that's not what this shot, <clears throat> shot is all about. It's about seeing you flip down and land and we see your face. Uh, no, you know, like. You know, he's got this macho issue going. He just saw me do a high fall and all this other stuff. So, you know, and I understand. I'd probably do the same. But anyway, he insists on going up about four feet, four and a half feet from this limb that he's got to drop down on, hit his chest and flip over. And I'm all against it. And I'm, you know, I talk to the producers and go, hey, I don't really uh, think this is cool. And so, you know, I'm not good with it. Oh, Sly wants to do it. He's fine. Look at him, man. He's like buffed out to the max. He's cool. Okay. So they shoot it. They action. He drops down like that. His flips over into the pad. We get a nice, great shot with total pain and anguish on his face. It's beautiful. So after this whole three days of shooting this sequence, uh, the only injury is Sly Stallone cracks two ribs. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that, that was one uh, a kind of a sequence that, you know, took a lot of thought. And uh, I actually had talked the director into doing it my way, which uh, turned out to be really, uh, you know, uh, effective when you see the film. It, it looks like that's what happened. And uh, so that was that. So as you may know, we did, uh, we're doing kind of a, a, a section of the best movie cars of all time. And it's, it's easy to pick the best cars of all time that have ever been in movies. But one thing that really um, kind of pushed me on this list that might make it a little bit different than other people's lists is that the cars usually had to have some sort of character in them. They had to they had to represent something. And uh, one of the cars on the list is the Chevy Nova from Death Proof. Um, so Kurt Russell plays Stuntman Mike, and he's an evil motherfucker in this movie. Just like, 
just evil. Um, so tell us a little bit of uh, how you're driving and what you do in the car um, and how, based on the actor, how does that kind of come together? How does it influence your driving when, you, when you're representing somebody that's so evil? Well, you know, um, Kurt, first off, Kurt's a great guy. I've been doubling him off and on for 30 years. I mean, that's what he told me when we were working on Death Proof, which I didn't realize it had been that long. But uh, anyway, it's like when you, when you understand the concept of the film you're doing, which is like as a stunt driver and stunt coordinator and everything, these are things that we all always think about, is that, you know, here you have a guy that's diabolical. He has a mission in life to do these things that he does. And he employs um, these, these machines to help him do it. So every one of the machines he uses has a certain uh, element about it that he retains, like the duck on the hood, um, you know, the skull and crossbones. He's always hit always has a like full blown full roll cage all that kind of stuff so his his cars become an actual extension of his character right so when he gets in that car he has developed and made and built this car to be like a part of him so when when you hear all that you know and I I listened into to uh uh, Kurt talking about his character in the car and everything on some of our meetings. And, you know, you start to understand how you, uh, being him, that you would like to drive the car and make it uh, be, you know, an extension of him. So that, that is what you do. And so when, it, when I was doing the driving and, you know, Quentin had a lot of input which is, is cool, uh, on every one of the chase sequences and crashes and everything we did. So a lot of that came from him. But in my own little world, when I would get in the car, I would kind of have my own little mental scenario about what, because they're not really seeing me in there. They're thinking, or they're, they're thinking Kurt's in there, but basically what they're seeing is this car and what it's doing. So every time I did any kind of move to the car, whether it was banging into the other car with Zoe Bell in the hood or whatever I was doing, I would try to make the moves like a somewhat a little jerky and deliberate and, and on each bang of the car kind of increase the velocity of the hit to where you're coming, this car is coming to a conclusion on its own. He's got his own thing happening here. Uh, although Kurt is driving it, I'm thinking in my little head that the car is doing a lot of it himself. So, you know, you go through all of those kind of little scenarios about, you know, when you have uh, the opportunity and you're working with a car uh, to as a driver to assume a certain amount of its, uh, you know, personality. Well, you are the car without you. It's yeah. just sitting there. I mean, you are what everybody sees on the screen and what you're doing and the character of but the I car. That's you. To, I still have to remember that I'm being Kurt. 
Right. You know? And Kurt has his, you know, uh, character ideas as well. Sure. But, you know, no one ever really, they would tell me what, what the action was, but they never really even went into like what the car's, you know, uh, feeling was or what the car, you know, mental state. Right. So, you know, but I would kind of just for fun on my own, you know, develop my own little scenario. So the car is basically an extension of a stunt driver who, in my opinion, is basically run out of thrills, right? He just doesn't have any other way to get the rush that he used to get, that the, the adrenaline rush that you talk about, the heart pounding thing. That's just gone for him. So he's got to do this with the car to kind of get his rocks off, as I guess you would say. Yeah. It's, and and what, what the other part of that scenario in the backstory is that this guy, you know, he's a guy that sits at the bar and tells everybody he was some stuntman, Mike, and blah, blah, blah. And which, which, tells me right away that he never was any good at what he did. He never did work that much. He maybe did five or six films in his whole career, but he's, he's just like, you know, living this dream about telling other people who he was, but he never was that. So that's even a more of a, you know, he's not washed up. He never was. Right. So that, that he's even pissed him off even more right 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 so that that was uh kind of my take on it as well whether anybody yeah. else saw that or not. yeah well he's taking it out on everybody then i guess so what was that chevy yeah. nova like to drive um we had like i think you know looking back on it, it's been a while um but i think we had seven or eight of the different ones uh we had three or four of them that were uh built especially for, uh, you know, the specific stunts that I was going to do. We did a couple of cannon rolls. We did some head-on. We did a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, one of them was uh, one that, that uh, I was I used mainly for most of the high-speed chases and stuff. And um, Kurt ended up liking that one. Uh, he drove it a couple times, and it had, you know, a lot of more power, and we did some suspension work on it and all that kind of stuff. So he ended up liking to use that one for all his close-up work as well. When, and that's the one I own right now because I hit it. So we, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't crash it or anything before we were done because I had plans for it. But, um, you know, the, the cars themselves were like, um, you know, 70 Novas. They scrounged around. They had some good old boy mechanic down there in Texas where we were working. We didn't have NASCAR people or anything. Uh, and they kind of, you know, scavenged parts and everything and put these things together as far as mechanically speaking, you know, they worked, um, they weren't the best. They, in the beginning, they didn't switch out any engines or anything. Uh, they didn't do a lot of, you know, new steering stuff or anything or brakes. And after a few um, days of testing before we started in shooting, and even after we shoot, were started shooting, we were constantly in, uh, you know, um, revamp mode and, you know, bringing these things up to a, a level where they were not dangerous to work with. Because in the beginning, 
they were, you know, like rat rods. They right. looked, they were what they looked like. Right. They're 50 year old so, cars that you're trying to drive aggressively. Yeah. And, and we're doing some radical stuff with it. So anyway, uh, we eventually, you know, like we bring in a couple of the mechanics down there. I'm not bad mouth them. They did a great job with what they had, but we brought a couple of high profile mechanics in from LA and we, you know, redid all the braking system. They had mechanical brakes on them, you know, so we put all, you know, disc brakes in, dropped a few crate engines in there, you know, put some four, four barrel carbs on them. We did the, the steering boxes and, you know, different tires and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, kind of got everything that worked, uh, that functioned perfectly. So, I mean, it wasn't like really, really high tech, like you're going to take it on, uh, you know, out and deal with, uh, you know, F1 cars or anything, but they worked for what we had to do. Right. And what we had to do was, you know, like, uh, you know, some pretty intricate stuff. We had car chases. And, and the reason I brought this up, we did this with all the cars that we used for each one of these sequences. So in the beginning, they were like really dangerous and really uh, bad. So, um, you know, immediately after driving them a little bit, and, and this is, we still didn't have it all sorted out by the time we were shooting. So while we're, shooting they're constantly working on these other cars so by the time we got into the heavy stuff um it was the, we had some cars that worked well so how do you coordinate a chase scene like between the nova and the challenger because it's a very long scene um obviously it's cut up into a bunch of a bunch of different clips and stuff like that yeah. but that's a very long car chase story what goes into coordinating that how do you remember everything you're supposed to do because with someone up on the hood of the car in front of you any mistakes are really bad news <laughs> oh any mistake is like uh it's, there is no mistake i mean you can't even go there oh uh, that's not in the scenario that's not an option so Anyway, wherever Quentin wants to start, and we start doing these pieces. And some of the pieces, you know, that we would cover, you know, we would have a what they call the Russian arm, this this uh, camera system with a crane and everything that's on a Cayenne Porsche all set up and everything. So we would do these running shots with with uh, Challenger and myself and uh, the stunt double in the car, which. Let me put a shout out to that girl. Uh, her name is Tracy Dashnow. She's Jeff Dashnow's wife, who was the coordinator of the film. And she happens to be one of the best female drivers going in the film industry. And she just did some phenomenal work. And so working with her helped me out a lot because we kind of were in each other's minds all the time. And I kind of knew what she was going to do before she did it. She knew what I was going to do before I did it. She knew, like, when things went wrong, like if, if the car got hit and one was going sideways and we didn't predict that, that she knew what my reaction would be. And I knew what her reaction would be. There was never going to be any panic or any of that kind of stuff. So um, I just wanted to interject that, that it was, Really, really nice to have a very good professional driver 
And that always makes any driver in a sequence like this uh, much more comfortable and, and gives him the ability to do what he needs to do. So where were we? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say, it's, uh, I was thinking about Zoe Bell being on the, on the hood of that other car. The amount of trust that she has in you guys is really, really oh, impressive. Can, can you imagine? I mean, no. uh, let me just tell, <laughs> tell, you, tell you a little bit about uh, that, um, that her being on the hood. What we had, I guess it's okay to divulge these secrets, is what we had, she was in a harness rigging you know, uh, under her wardrobe. And we had a cable that went from her rigging on her, uh, on her hip that went through a hole in the hood with had little shivs in it that went from a pulley through the car to a special effects rigger that was in the back seat that had her on like a, if you will, a rappel. So that. She could move from one side of the car to the other and spin around on the hood and do all this kind of stuff. And he could belay her out and bring her back where she uh, would never leave the hood. And it right. gave her the ability, instead of having her, her hard mounted where she was just like hooked to the hood, or where she didn't have that kind of freedom. Because if you remember... When we're doing this stuff, she's kind of sliding from one side of the car and then sliding back to the other side of the car. And maybe sometimes when we hit, she would spin around or it would knock her to the other side. So, you know, it, it worked really well. That portion of it was, you know, she was totally safe and it allowed her to, you know, really do some, some believable action stuff, which was quite real. Yeah, well, you guys did a great job because that whole that whole scene is so long and really impressive. And for as long as it is, it doesn't feel oh, that yeah. long. The talking beforehand is really long, but the the car <laughs> but the car chase that, itself is really good. That's all. I'll uh, you know I, those are my feelings too. And and Quentin, if you're listening, I love you to death. But I do have to tell you, Quentin, some. <laughs> Some of the dialogue sequence get really, really laborious. <laughs> and I know that's what you're good at. And I know that's what he loves. And so I'm willing to go for it as long as I get to do his, you know, work on his action stuff because it's fantastic. Well, the juice and, uh, is worth the squeeze there to watch that and see everything else. It's, it's, it's all, it's all good. I'll probably never work for him again. <laughs> so the, the other movie on my list that you, had something to do with is the Wraith, which is a movie that came out way before, way before, uh, before, uh, death proof did. Um, Oh, way before anything. Yeah. This is, this is way back. This is when Charlie Sheen still looked like he was about five years old. So what do you remember about the, uh, the Dodge M4S interceptor that Charlie Sheen okay. drove in that movie? Well, uh, first of all, the, the real Dodge, the real one that we had on the set for about eh, for a day and a half or 20 minutes <laughs> is that it was owned by uh, MPS or the, a paint company. Yeah, yeah. I forget exactly who it was, Dodge, and, and one of these car paint companies owned it. The car at the time was, you know, they, they put a price tag on it, uh, you know, right like around a, a million and a half or something. Nowadays, that wouldn't mean anything. Back then, 
it was like, you know, you couldn't go near the thing. You could stand back and look at it. Don't touch it. Well, a million and a half dollars in 1986. That's, that's quite a bit of, that's yeah. quite a bit of bread. Yeah. Well, right now they, they send that like, uh, no big deal. Uh, they'll build some replica cars that, you know, work really good. Uh, so anyway, we had this car that they did. They uh, did some stuff with close up with Charlie, um, you know, him getting in and out and they shot stuff, interior stuff with the camera. You know, they did a lot of plate shots for when they would use, uh, uh, visual effects within, you know, the thing coming alive, all yeah. that stuff. So, you know, like I say, we had that car for about a day and a half or whatever. I got to stand there and look at it. It was cool. It was a beautiful car. Um, so, uh, the next element, we have uh, what they were, uh, they did, the company gave them the templates of, of the car. So, they were allowed to uh, pull some fiberglass molds off of the original car uh, and they made fiberglass uh, replicas of that car. They, I think we had three of them or four, I don't know. So they had these fiberglass bodies uh, you know the, the, one of the doors would open and close like uh, you know that's very sophisticated. Uh, they painted them. They looked really good. Uh, they drove like shit. <laughs> what they did is they they built this, or they got a chassis somewhere. I, I don't know. You know, I I heard stuff like it was from a Pinto or I didn't even want to hear about that. That wasn't, that wasn't. <laughs> yes, my please tell me part. it's an exploding car. That's just what I want to know. <laughs> That wasn't part of my in my um, you know window is that that was transportation and that was the art department and and they were building these cars for us to do a huge car chase and a lot of stuff. So uh, we be, we're about two weeks out before we start shooting and we're down there in uh, Arizona. And we're, you know, they tell us, okay, you come on over and we can test drive one of these cars. So I have a guy, Steve Davidson, who is an off-road racer, stuntman, another guy that um, I mentored and brought along, you know, was uh, got him in the business and made a stuntman out of him. Uh, he ended up is having a great career. He's now a stunt coordinator, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, he was still under my tutelage, if you would. And he was going to drive this, uh, the, what do they call it, uh, in the movie, uh, or the race, okay. He's going to drive the race doubling Charlie Sheen, because I've got a lot of chores coordinating, you know, this, these car chases and everything, and I'm going to, uh, you generally drive a lot of the cars that are chasing him, and I've got my own set of thrill rides set up, so I'm going to let him uh, deal with this one element. Um, we go out there, uh, you know, we, we jack the thing up. They've got it where you can, you know, like lift the whole body up, like some of the F1 cars. So you can tilt the body up from the back and we look in there and they have a Volkswagen engine, (laughs) uh, in the rear. 
So anyway, they they unveil this thing, and here we have this car that is totally. I mean, we haven't even driven it yet, and eyeballing it, it is substandard for my needs. So anyway, we get in it, or he gets in it. There's only one seat, so I can't really get in there. So I get in there, and we're out on this pad, and he starts driving it, and you know, doing some test turns, and uh, um, I don't even think they put in an e-brake. Uh, for us to do slides and stuff, which we were going to need. So he was doing everything and trying to get it up to speed. And we're on this huge, big, you know, like almost like a uh, dry dry lake bed, but cement. And I, the first thing I noticed is this car is like bup, 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 bouncing up, <laughs> up and down, like as it's going across this thing. So I wave them in and, First of all, the, the car that I saw uh, drawing going is the faster it went, the lower it got. And, you know, it was like an one car. It was like, it was cool. And it when it went, it like became part of the earth. You know, it, was, it wasn't bouncing around like a, a bobber on the end of a fishing line. Mm-hmm. So, and it was like way high in the air. And if you saw the film you will probably notice that we never, ever did get to totally solve that issue because there's some <laughs> shots in there where you see this car kind of along. You know, <laughs> and if you look at it again, you'll see. We did the best we could. We immediately, I was moaning and groaning, and I was not a happy guy, and we went back and gave them a list of stuff we wanted. Um you know, totally new suspension. We put gas shocks on it. We tried to get them to to drop the suspension down where it looked like that other car, which they did a little bit. We got new steering systems in, and we got a at the time I think it was called an E2 something, um, a, a Volkswagen a Baja racing engine that had a lot of interior engines. It was a badass little engine uh, and was capable of some pretty high speeds and doing what we wanted. Um, it, it, it was a good part. So we got this engine. Now we got braking systems in it. We got, you know, handy brake, all this kind of stuff that the car we tested and it actually kind of functioned. Kind of. You couldn't see out of it too well. The plexiglass in the windshield constantly fogging up. I mean, there was a lot of issues. But we had a car that we could start production with. Uh, it still was doing the little bobbing thing. <laughs> uh, I don't know what we never could. Well, we tried everything, a lot of different things back and forth, but never could get it to do with what they had given us because we couldn't start over, which if they would have given us the cards that build it, we would have built something real cool. But the people that were doing it, you know, had for some reason had, uh, you know, restraints or whatever. So anyway, that, that, that movie, or I'm sorry, the interceptor that's in the car, you guys didn't really crash that car. I mean, theoretically, the you could have just used the original one that they let Charlie Sheen just sit in and nothing would have happened to it. Right. Uh, no, they weren't even going to let us drive it. 
<laughs> As if anybody it. would be able to drive the car, it would be you guys. <laughs> if anybody was yeah. going to be trusted. Oh. oh, yeah, that was the deal. And we told them, you know, like, we that's what we do here. We, uh, you know, insure it, do whatever you need to do. But, you know, we actually need that car for running shots. And, and again, uh, had we had it in some of the su- subsequent chasing sequence and everything, it would have got destroyed. So kind of good they didn't give it to us <laughs> because, uh, you know, uh, on several occasions, uh, equipment, um, you know, personnel malfunctions, there were some bad things happen. Mm-hmm. So in, uh, in, in retrospect, had we had the car just for running shots and all that, that would have been a, uh, a huge plus. And had they let us build a car, it would have been a huge plus. But uh, old saying in the motorcycle racing area, uh, when people moan about their bike didn't work or whatever, you you just turn to them and say, hey, dude, you got to run what you brought. (laughs) That's right. And it seems like a lot of stuff used to have Volkswagen engines back in the day. There's a there's a movie called The Last Chase, and it's it's about uh, this a post-apocalyptic world and it's supposed to be this Porsche 917 Le Mans car and then you start to look really close and you realize it's just a Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> oh yeah, well way with, with especially with a, a car like Porsche and everything you can get away with that. The engine configurations and all that sure. aren't a whole lot different. And it works because the rear engine, all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, it, it just what we see <laughs> A Volkswagen and this million and a half dollar car, uh, they just didn't look anything the same. So anyway, that's about the car. The car that we had to work with was really, really not fun. It was a chore to drive. It was a, a safety issue every time we did anything with it. So, you know, it was the best film wasn't um, what you would call a lot of fun we every driving sequence we did and every car we had basically the corvettes all this kind of stuff was trash Mm. it was stuff that they got that they kind of put together to make work or to get through a shot but none of it was anything that you look forward to getting in the cockpit you know it was like uh always a job every once in a while it, it would get really fun because it scared the hell out of you and you were saving your life right so other, well, other than that it wasn't at the end of the movie really you good. see that the wraith is dedicated to to bruce ingram a cameraman who who passed away during during filming is that as a result of the cars just not being safe or what what happened um well that was a combination of a lot of things and i'm going to at some point, I'm going to want a, uh, a uh, can I get a copy of this interview? Absolutely. Okay. Just so that I'm going to be very candid and honest about everything. But uh, also, I want to tell you that, you know, there was some huge losses and there was some big problems with this and everything that uh, maybe still not be resolved. I don't know. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to tell you like it was. And uh, at some point... After I listen to it, uh, I might say, hey, can we take this little part out or whatever? Sure. We're not going live right now, are we? No, sir. I mean, we could. I don't care. But we're, we're not live. Right. It's it's supposed to be released to, uh, on Friday. So we have till oh, Friday. Okay. 
so cool. We've got, you know, some time, but I, I just want to give you the, the straight scoop and be as honest with you. That's what I'm giving you. Well, I think it's, okay? imp- I think it's important to, in terms of what you do, it, it's dangerous, you know, and I think, oh, you know, this is, this dangerous. isn't, this isn't, this isn't uh, trivial stuff that you guys are dealing with. You're dealing no, with, no, you know, thousands of pounds of machines doing, doing dangerous things. And I think um, that this is and, just part and, of it. And people die doing this. People have died doing this. People will die doing it. So, you know, it is a very, very serious uh, thing that we do as stunt people. Um, every day we're working at it. Um, I'm knocking on wood, which is my head, is that uh, the stuff that we're doing nowadays is just as probably uh, radical as the stuff we did uh, in the past. Uh, we have better equipment now, better safety stuff, but still, it's, it's really gnarly stuff, and things can go wrong uh, under the best of circumstances anytime. So it is a dangerous uh, profession. Um, uh, whatever their consequences, we have chosen to do it. Right. I would never change a thing. It's, um, you know, nobody chained me and took me to work. I went there on my own. So uh, we love what we do, but it, it's inherently dangerous. You know, that's the bottom line. So we're, uh, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, we did a lot of car chases with some substandard um, pieces of equipment. Um, doing the chase with the, uh, the, the race itself was, you know, it was a bit of work. Uh, and everything they wanted to do was high speed. Um, the, the chase sequence that we're going to be talking about where we had uh, a loss of life is we were doing that on um, a road called Mount Lemon in Arizona, right outside of Tucson. And this this run that we were doing uh, was like about a six to seven mile run from where we were at base camp to uh, the end of the run. And so uh, in this canyon, we, uh, we had... Uh, quite a bit of, uh, of uh, problem with radio transmission, like with our radios and walkie-talkies wouldn't, wouldn't work from us to base camp or to the other end. So uh, that was an issue that we were concerned about in the beginning because what if, you know, something happened to break down with the car or we, you know, had a flat or whatever, how are we going to contact, you know, either end to come and rescue us? So uh, knowing that, that just gives you a little advance notice of what kind of a situation we were in when this uh, serious car wreck happened. We were stuck in the middle of, of this road in this canyon with no communication one way or the other. We had one uh, person was still alive, but in a fatal head, head injury. We had several other head injuries. We had people laying everywhere. A lot of, uh, you know, injured people. So what, what our issue was, which 
I'm sure you're starting to feel the pain, is that we had no communication. And it was uh, Steve Davidson, who was driving the race, and me. So uh, at this point, do you want me to start when they said action and go from there and lead up to this crash? Sure, whatever you feel comfortable with. Okay, well, I'm going to I'm gonna tell you maybe a blow-by-blow blow up to this point, or I can, you know, just start with the the disastrous mayhem that I was looking at, but maybe it's, it's I'll tell your you story. You, you tell it how you, how you want to tell it. <laughs> okay. All right. So here we are. We know what the issues are. We have, uh, you know, the state police, their highway patrol at base camp holding traffic. We have, uh, the police state police at the, at our end of our run, uh, holding traffic. So there's no traffic one way or the other on Mount Lemon. It's a very, very curvy road, as you can see in the film. Uh, on one side, uh, we're that we're chasing on is kind of a uh, kind of rather steep uh, mountain that comes down to a shoulder, and then the two-lane asphalt, and then on the other side, uh, after a shoulder and about you know. 15, 20 feet, is a cliff that probably goes down, you know, four, 300, 400 feet, ragged boulders, everything. If you go off that side, you're in big trouble. So uh, deep kimchi, as we used to say. So anyway, if that's what we're dealing with, we're doing this chase. We have a camera car that has three cameras on it. Uh, two of them are, are down low uh, on, the, on the ground, you know, about a foot off the ground shooting uh, uh, the two cars. Then we have another camera up higher that's getting whatever it can get of the two cars. And um, we have like script people, camera systems, blah, blah, blah on this camera car uh the camera car you probably know what that is but i'll give you a quick uh, readout on it it's like ford the 250 it has uh you know a platform in the back speed rails everywhere um you know uh, camera positions has some kind of like uh seats for people um and then it has recording equipment and everything with a video operator inside the cab with the insert driver and the guy that's driving the insert truck. And so this thing is, is used to record and film our chase. And the chase will consist of uh, a Corvette chasing a bad guy, which I think is, I forget which guy was in it, um, the director's kid. Uh, what was his name? Oh, the bad guy. I can't think of his name either. Okay, we'll get it later. Anyway, he's driving the Corvette, and I'm doubling him in the Corvette. So uh, the two of us are chasing um, the camera car, and we're doing I'm in the lead, then, then the race is in the lead, and we're switching positions back and forth. A lot of time we're side by side. Uh, you know, the director will say, okay. Packard Walsh, that's the guy's name. The character's Packard Walsh. 
It's uh, yeah, Nick, but, Nick uh, Casavetes. Nick, Nick, yeah, Nick Casavetes. Yeah, right. Yeah. He was a good. He was a good dude. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know, they would we would be side by side, and then the director would come on the the walkie talkie and say, "Okay, can you guys come up right next to the camera?" So you know, we would come up like two feet in front of the camera, then we would fall back, chase positions, all this kind of stuff. Um, so it was like we had a scenario of the kind of um, um, elements that they wanted in this particular six, seven-mile run that we were going to do. Uh, before before we did this bit of work, Steve and I had already had some extensive time in these two vehicles, and we knew that you know his vehicle was okay, that the Corvette was really junk. Uh, I mean, it would go really fast in a straight line, but as far as, you know, uh, turns and all that, it was a Corvette and it just wasn't that great. Um, so we had a discussion with the camera car driver, which um, I can give you his name if you need it. If you don't, I won't, um, who was driving the camera car. Generally, camera car drivers are like they're really good wheelmen. They're a lot of them were ex, you know, race car drivers, or some of them uh, were used to be stuntmen, whatever. But they're considered, you know, good at what they do. They're supposed to be very safety conscious and all of that. So, uh, and generally, we, you know, uh, consider them to be pretty good. Not all of them are that great. A couple of them are better than others. Uh, the guy that was here was kind of, uh, I would say, mediocre. He owned the camera car, though, wouldn't let anybody else drive it. So there we have it. Uh, so we start off on this this run. Uh, camera car takes off. He's got probably, I would say, about 13 to 14 people on this camera car, which wow. looking in retrospect, is way, way too many. Uh, it seems like everybody wants to get on the camera car and ride because they think it's exciting too. But there was, it might not have been that many, but uh, there was a lot. And way more, you know, after this particular accident, uh, things changed radically about people that were can ride on camera vehicles. And they all have to be seat belted and all that kind of stuff. So this kind of helped out a bad scenario. So anyway, we take out, uh, take off, and we, uh, you know, we talked it over with the, the driver, Lee, and uh, and tell him, you know, like we're gonna go as let's let us kind of dictate the speed because, uh, you know, I think it'll work for you because. Uh, these cars will probably do as well as your truck will do, but we'll see because um, we hadn't really had them up to speed on a road like this and everything. So we tell them, you take off. We'll talk back and forth with you, tell you to, you know, you can go faster, slower, whatever. So we take off and um, he's got all these people on there and he's, I think, being a little, showing a little bravado and he takes off and he's going a pretty good speed. You know, we're, we're doing what we're supposed to do, changing positions and, uh, you know, doing all this close bumper to bumper stuff with our cars and then coming up to that car. And, uh, 
you know, about halfway through it. I mean, we're we're holding our own, but it's real sketchy when you know that you got this this cliff on the other side of you. If you're going to make any kind of error, you want to be sure that it's not to your left. That you know, you rather go to the right and crash in the side of the mountain or whatever. But we're doing the best we can, and it's working out pretty good. We're both feeling kind of good. I was feeling good. Um, this Corvette's all over the place, but still, that was character driven <laughs> uh, the, the car had its character too so about halfway through <clears throat> the camera car is like picking up speed you know and we're having a really a tough time sticking up with it with with our equipment so i uh, i get on the walkie and i tell uh the driver hey uh dude you gotta gotta slow down because we can't these cars can't handle this speed they're not set up for it you know we're probably doing 60 65 something like that which is is real good for for this road and what we're dealing with and especially that camera car and in this trash that we're driving so uh i'm on the uh the walkie and i tell him hey dude you got to slow it down a taste because it's getting a little over the top for us um uh so I, I I think I hear a click click or okay or whatever. I'm sure he's got his hands full, and he at this point I think that he's over the top with uh, his equipment and what he's doing with all these people on it and everything. So um, you know we continue a little further. We're a little about halfway <clears throat> through the canyon at this point, <clears throat> and I uh, get on the horn again and tell him, hey. Dude, you got to slow this down because we either slow it down or we're going to have to just, you know, hang where we're hanging and we can't keep doing this. If if you keep up that speed, uh, we're on the edge here trying to keep up with you. So after that conversation, about two turns later, he goes into the turn. He gets on the, the left-hand turn. But he gets his back in, gets into the dirt a little bit on the shoulder, and we see it start to happen. But at this point, Steve Davison and I are probably about um, 15, 20 feet off of his rear side-by-side, maxed out with what we can do. So we've gotten up to the cameras. You know, the camera guy told us where we need to be, and we're there, and we're right on his ass, uh, 15 feet away, when we see the rear end of his truck start losing traction and sliding into the side of this mountain. And it's happening quick. We're right here. Uh, you know, we're, I'm thinking, and Steve's probably thinking, too, this guy's going to pull it out. Uh but he slides into the side, hits the side of the mountain, broadside. The car flips back in front of us. We see people flying everywhere. Lands in front of us like that. People lying all around. And at this point, we, you know, we saw the explosion of dirt and everything when he hit the side of the mountain. So we know what's happening. And we're all over the binders 
whatever. I've, I've already started to back off because I, for some reason, I, I kind of realized what was going to happen. And Steve Davidson has, you know, hit his brakes. So, um, so he is like kind of gets kind of sideways in front of me and I'm still going forward. I hit the front of his car, rip the front end off, which pitches me back sideways. And now I'm sliding sideways, my rear end towards the cliff. And all of a sudden I come to a stop. I didn't go over the cliff. I see Steve's okay over there. The, the front end of his car is totally ripped off. He's getting out. We see all this these people laying around. I mean, it is bad. I get out of the car. Steve and I both run to start doing the best we can with the most seriously injured. You know, we get on the horn. Uh, there's no reception. We can't get anybody in here. So we're not thinking about that yet or anything, but we're starting to, you know, the one um, Ingram, the camera operator, the most seriously injured, we could tell right away that that it wasn't good. So we tried to make him as comfortable as we could and then started dealing with the other people. There was uh, Leon Dudevar, the first assistant. He was in a bad way. He ended up being paralyzed from the waist down after this. Um, there was people in various stages of injury all around. And we were counting the heads. Uh, you know, the people that were in the hood was good. We got the driver out and he started helping us kind of take care of people. And uh, so we, we counted heads as best we could about you know, he couldn't remember how many people were on it or whatever. But, you know, I, Steve and I both were thinking, you know, there's still people around here somewhere. We don't know. So anyway, we, we are dealing with all of this. We uh, finally decide that uh, one of us are going to have to start hoofing it back to um the base camp because I think we think that that's the closest way to go. And we had a kind of a scenario in the beginning that if somebody didn't see us on either end at a given, you know, set of time that um, we, they would send somebody. They would know we either had a breakdown or uh, a wreck or something. So actually, uh, Steve started out to go to base camp and then we decided, no, uh, base camps too far would probably be better to go the other way. And, but before any of that, we just kind of were hanging out, dealing with people, trying to decide what to do. We were totally freaked out. Uh, we um, were looking around for this person that we were missing. And we go over to the side of the cliff, kind of where my car, and we noticed my car, my rear end, and the back wheels are hanging over the cliff. So I didn't even realize it. I got out of the car, went to the wreck, and I was like five feet from going over the cliff myself when I got out of the car. 
but my Corvette is hanging over the edge of the cliff. So as I see that, ah, okay, that doesn't hit me yet about what that really means. But we're looking around and we see a guy, I forget what his position was, he was a grip or something, laying down on a, a rock about 25 feet down the cliff. But he was like moving. So he was okay. So we go down there. We get him up. He's just got cuts and bruises and stuff. Uh, very fortunate. But anyway, what happened? We had a, a serious driver error uh, in the camera car. We had asked him on several occasions to slow down that we couldn't keep up this rate of speed. And uh, it seemed that he only kind of went faster with that. So that's, uh, that's kind of a scenario. And then finally, about, you know, not, not too many minutes later, uh, it couldn't have been more than probably six minutes after the crash or whatever, uh, the uh, highway patrol and everything showed up from base camp. Uh, fortunately, that was a smart move because at least that's, the way we had come, and they wouldn't run into us head on. So they came, ambulances, medevac, all that kind of stuff. And uh, unfortunately, we had one uh, fatal and uh, some very serious so long time. How injury. did this change? How did this change how things work? I mean, this must have had an impact on the industry. You know, for for the better. Uh, what what changed to prevent this type of stuff from happening well, again? Well, what blew my mind is that uh, it didn't really, what it did was it, it made some changes in how many um, people you can put on a camera car. Uh, you know, they had to be seated, uh, belted in, um, things like that. It didn't address who drove camera cars or their um um, how good they were at what they did. Um, the, the thing that freaked me out the most is that about a year later, I was working on a show, and this same camera car driver, who, by the way, was uninjured in the wreck, was working, driving another one of his camera cars, which, to me, meant that nothing really happened. You know, that... To me, that guy would have never got in another camera car. Um, you know, he could rent his camera cars, but he couldn't drive one. Um, so as far as as that goes, I mean, the the it's given the stunt uh, coordinator uh, and stuntmen the ability to uh, pull their safety card if they want. Say, hey, this ain't happening, no matter what you say, because of this this and this right. um, the assistant directors directors everybody is um, you know a little bit more uh, aware of, of you know working on camera cars and everything because now they have become liable so if something happens they're going to be the first ones sued so there's some small things that have happened um, I think that the development of the new um, camera systems that record 
stuff with the Cayennes and the Russian arms and all those things yeah, yeah. is was a great uh, advantage. But in the end, uh, it's just what you guys do. It, it's risk. Yeah. It's risk. It just it, is. It's risk. And the only the only sad part about it is that this didn't happen have to happen. Right. Um, it was driver error. We kind of uh, were holding our own with with the equipment and had the sense to at least request that either he slow down or we're going to stop one or the other. So, uh, right. you know, we had control in that area. Uh, quite freaky to look over the side of the cliff uh, at the end of it, knowing that, whoa. <laughs> you were right so, there. <laughs> you were, I, you were been, right there. It could have been me. So that was one of the, uh, you know, the situations that happened, we did a lot of, of, uh, um, different things. I did a cannon roll with the CUDA, um, with when the guy shot the shotgun through the floorboard. Remember that part? Which part? Where, uh, I forgot what the character's name was. The guy that was always sniffing WD-40. <laughs> or it was like, it was like Skinner or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, uh, yeah. Something Scooter Skinner, something. yeah, um, um, and where he he's got the shotgun, and it ought to, it goes off prematurely and it's facing down. Skank, so was Skank. That was the guy's name. Skank, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Skank. So Skank like blows the shotgun and it flips the uh, Cuda over into a cannon roll. Sure, sure. Well. Um, <laughs> Before I, I mean, I've I really appreciate your time. I've I've had you on the phone forever. Um, hey, I, there's a ton more to go. <laughs> no, <that's cool. laughs> I just got I just got one more question for you before before I let sure. you go. If you had to pick a best movie car of all time, what is your choice? Um, okay, here's the the best movie car of all time was Herbie. No, <laughs> that was fun. We. Had, I did a lot of the Herbie movies, and we had every kind of Herbie uh, that existed on the earth. We had Herbies that did wheelies, all this kind of <laughs> stuff. I, I, I fought a full-blown, uh, you know, uh, bull, that they bullfighters fight with a Herbie car. Fought this bull with it, with a cape attached to the hood, all that. So, anyway, that stuff was fun, but just as a cars in general go, if I were to tell you the car that I would most want to drive doing a car chase, and it's my favorite car to drive or to do cannon rolls in or anything, um, slides, all of that, is the the Ford Crown Vic. <laughs> I mean, what car has been flipped over more than one of those? <laughs> and the deal is, is that they have the the long wheelbase. I mean, you can slide these things all day long. You, they handle perfectly. So, you know, like all these cars that we have nowadays are like, they're so computerized that you, it's difficult to do a car chase with any new car. You got to rip out 
every bit of technology that they had. Right. Because otherwise, it overrides anything. You can't do a slide with these things. Well, it's funny. So, when you see newer movies that still have cop chase scenes, it's still the old Crown Vic, even though no cops use those anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are, I mean, they are my preference. They're the dream car. I've spent so much time in those cars that, that you know, they're the best cars ever to work with. So, if you're asking me for uh, no, my I favorite like car to do a car chasing, that would that would be the one. I like it. That's, that's have, a great answer. You can have every Ferrari, Lambo. I hate having to drive those things because, <laughs> number one, they're so close to the ground that, you know, you hit anything, it's tearing off, you know, the spoilers. You They don't do what you want them to do. And... If you crash one, you're really screwed. Right, right, for sure. All right, man. So, where can people find out more about you if they want to? If they want to find more out about Buddy Joe, uh, you know what? Uh, what they can do is uh, they can go on IMDb. You know, that yeah. one, International Movie Database. Uh, they can uh, go on. I have a website at uh, BuddyJoeHooker.com. They can look me up on our Stunts Unlimited site. <laughs> right on, man. Well, I really appreciate your time, and uh, you've been very generous with it, and I, I look forward to uh, finding a reason to talk to you again someday. Take care, All man. Right. Thanks, Chris. Yep. Bye-bye. Right. Awesome. What a great interview, and I, I again, I can't thank him enough for his time, and you know, I should have asked him if he was filming that chase scene from the movie The Chase. I didn't even think to ask him about that. <laughs> There's some really good scenes in that movie. I hope everybody's Googling The Chase with Charlie Sheen. Just Google Charlie Sheen Chase naked. I'm sure that'll probably <laughs> probably pull it up. Um, and But uh, also, it's there was some somber stuff in that in that interview, too, with some yeah. pretty serious stuff that just lets you know how dangerous and... and committed. Uh, commi- yeah, committed is, is a really good word for what these guys do. Exactly. Like you said, uh, people have died. They're going to die. And they will die yeah. doing this because it's, and you know what it is? It's for us. It's to help tell stories, right? And what's more important in, in human civilization than telling stories? Nothing, because yeah. that's how the history is written. And obviously, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, fiction. A lot of this stuff is fiction. Right. But it's still, even with fiction, if someone was 200 years in the future, 300 years, 500 years in the future, would look back and see a movie like uh, um, Death Proof, you would kind of get an idea of our society. We've got cars and girls and bars and everything else. And I mean, that's all that really matters, right? Is that it? Jeez. Okay. On no, that but, note. No, but look how we look back at like Roman civilization. We look at the great right. plays and we look at Shakespeare and we look at these other things. No, I see your and, point. And, like and it is and a the, good reference. It's a good reference point society. for where we are at a different point in our society. If you look at, um, you know, what people are into and what they love watching, what they love doing, what they spend their free time doing is a pretty good uh, idea of who people are, I think. Yeah, I think that's pretty well said. All right, well, let's leave it at that. We will see you guys uh, soon, I guess, Friday. Friday. We'll see you on Friday. And we have, on Friday, we're going to have Tom Fisher in. And he is the establishment, I guess I would call him. Okay. He is a uh, he's a professor at the University of Minnesota for urban design. And uh, we're going to talk to him about uh, what's going on in the future of autonomous cars and everything else. So he's kind of the establishment. He's kind of the opposite side of the aisle for me. And uh, we'll Another see what excellent he, interview. Yeah, great interview. We'll have to see what he has to say. All right, guys, that's it. We'll see you on Friday. Take care.
but it's a little too 